0: Welcome to the Behavioral Design Podcast and another product, Deep Dive, with me, Samuel Seltzer, and Aline Hulsworth. Hey, Aline.
1: Yeah. Hello, hello. How's it going?
0: Good. Well, I feel like I need to start with a correction. Uh, I feel like maybe we both saw this coming. I felt I saw it coming right after we recorded the previous episode. Uh, You might remember that we talked about in the last part of Deep Dive, co-living spaces, And I referenced a famous Greek philosopher.
1: Oh oh man, are you here to set the record straight? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. yes. It was it was Epicurus. Am I am I right?
0: (laughs) That was that was how I pronounced it. Uh, We got three emails uh, from people saying that I was dead wrong. Wow, um, harsh. Yeah, they were very they were friendly. They were friendly. Uh, So so thanks to. To your kind emails via podcast at habicly.com. We got um uh, three <laughs> corrections, pretty much uh um, well,
1: four if you yeah. include me. <laughs> I, al- yes. I also,
0: yeah. <laughs> and and so yeah, there is such a thing as Epicurious, but that is a uh what is what do you what was that? Yes. Was... I,
1: I mean I would just say the, the recipe app you know? recipe <laughs> It up. might be yeah. a website too, but yeah. It's not okay. a full so,
0: so so how you pronounce it is Epicurus. Yeah. Epicurus. Not yeah. curious. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sam, you're the only one who's worried about this.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, but uh, we're, we're. I make mistakes
1: uh, all the time. Quite embarrassing. Yeah, I think ones, it's good. It's good that we're
0: also kind of inviting uh, scrutiny here in some ways. Uh-huh. Like we, uh-huh. we shouldn't bastardize science in any way. Like if we say something <laughs> wrong, I think we we're open to having that revised and corrected as well. So Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I,
1: I like to be held accountable um, with the caveat that we are doing our best.
0: <laughs> yes. <we> <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. So uh moving on, one thing I just want to briefly vent about is something which you know a little bit about, which is that I'm I'm moving, I'm moving mm-hmm. house. And I was faced with this conundrum where we had two really great options. And I wanted to ask you because I believe it's in Predictably Rational. If you remember anything referenced in that book, I think Dan talks about. <laughs> I would about, hope I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, yes, I I, yeah. I I know that one quite well. So I believe that's in the book where Dan talks about the problem of like when you're moving house, you underestimate the commute. Is that correct?
1: Uh huh. Yes. I th- I thought you were going to reference a different uh, topic of of asymmetric dominance, but yes, I've also written on this topic of the
0: of the commute um, but please okay, can you please summarize somehow, that, tell me what you're uh, thinking bias we
1: underestimate the uh, the the negative impact of driving a long time and we overestimate the importance of things like having a big house um, that so you can you know your your money it seems like your money can go farther when you're living in the suburbs because you have a big yard and you have uh, you can have more rooms in your house, more square footage, etc. Um, but the the thing that that really has a greater impact on your happiness is uh, you know, not having to drive <laughs> every day right That's the thing that takes a toll uh, on your on your general well-being is that misery of being stuck in traffic. Maybe it's different if, you know, if you have trains and other kinds of, of transportation that is less miserable than driving. Um, but yeah. yeah. So so tell me how you were thinking about this situation.
0: Well, I chose the bigger house. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, it's, it's an apartment. It was a nicer apartment that was further away versus a smaller apartment that was kind of like more centrally located. Hmm. And so... But, um, yeah.
1: It's interesting because I feel like this calculus has changed a little bit in the pandemic, where having more space feels <laughs> feels more important, right. right? If you're stuck in that space, um, so I think that yeah, you know, there are some context effects as well that that have to be considered, and we're not considered in the in the previous research. So, you know, okay. you, you, you could be fine after all.
0: Yeah, that's we'll interesting. See. So we we lean towards the bigger one because we use wanted to have optimized for. Two workspaces, like two mm-hmm. decent places for. If we had to work at home, we could both, in a kind of non, kind of climbing over each other way, both work from home uh, with with that scenario. And also, it'd be interesting. Yeah, we both would commute with uh, public transport, which is pretty good in Stockholm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, maybe better in car. Maybe I think so, probably. So definitely. Uh, yeah, Definitely. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. This is I'm I'm talking about this now because we can revisit this in like a years time, and I can give you the the n of one results from. That's my true. Experience. I mean,
1: we don't we don't have any reference point, uh, any anyone to compare you against. But the 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 Sam in another parallel universe who chose the other house will have to also report back to us.
0: Yeah, how was it when you bought your house? Did you have the same kind of conundrum, or what was kind of your process?
1: Uh, oh gosh. I mean, the, my situation of buying a house is so incredibly unusual. I don't think we can make any sort of generalization. Um, I prioritized living downtown, um, but mind you, mm. this is downtown Durham, North Carolina, which is a small, small town. Um, it's <laughs> like I grew up in Los Angeles and came to the like smallest, uh, little liberal utopia in the South. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah, I, I have a, a uh, sizable house with a sizable yard and I'm also downtown. So I chose to have my cake and eat it too, as I do with most things in life.
0: <laughs> Such an inspiration but, in some ways.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't compromise, have everything. That's, that's that's what I believe.
0: Nice. Well, uh, I'm trying to segue this into personality tests. Uh-oh. Um. <laughs>
1: What does that say about me? Yeah.
0: We're gonna get some emails. But yeah, let's talk personality test because you had a fantastic conversation with yes. uh, Sanjay, who was the the past episode. If you haven't listened to it, you can. It's available out already. You should listen to it. It's a fantastic deep dive into personality test science and beyond. Maybe you can give a little bit of an overview of what you and Sanjay covered.
1: Yeah, I mean and I'll I'll I won't go into the whole episode but we definitely we had a, a terrific conversation about personality tests in in general in terms of the uh the corporate use case, right? And and he talked about how well, you know, the the um the sort of Problematicity of this this product really kind of depends on how it's being used. So, is it for uh, a developmental purposes, like in, in workshops and giving people feedback, and kind of just a a tool for discussion? In that case, like yeah, that's fine. It seems like a good a good use of personality tests. Um, but then you know, compare that to the hiring or promotion use case, and there you start to see some problems. Um, mm. And so we, we really focus on this one because I think it's probably the more interesting use case. Anywhere that you can, you can find problems, uh, we should talk about it. And Sam, I, I'm sad that you weren't able to join us, but I know that you listened to the episode. So I'd love to hear any thoughts that you had about may, may like comparing these two or um even just like you know is is this problematic to use personality tests in a corporate setting as a as a tool to to base your hiring decisions or your promotion decisions off of
0: yeah so many great uh topics to unpack there i would say what i appreciated with the conversation obviously sanjay is so knowledgeable uh, you know as knowledgeable as you come probably in this kind of domain and so yeah. it's very nuanced. And I think here as well, it's probably not a case of yes or no. It's all bad or all good. It's probably some mm-hmm. something in between, which I also appreciated in the conversation where sometimes things that are not called personality tests are kind of very adjacent and, and could yeah. be kind of using standardized similar, interview.
1: Just, yeah. just like how the framing of the tool makes such a big difference. Yeah. We it, exactly. it, it was yeah. it was so interesting because we really went back and forth so many times on our own opinions, just weighing weighing this framing and the evidence and the, the impact and all of these sort of unintended consequences. Um, so, yeah, oh, it's yeah. not
0: simple. No, but I, I'll be interested here. Actually, have you heard about this book? I hope you haven't heard about it, but mm-hmm. I'm still curious. It's called Surrounded by Idiots. Have you heard about this book?
1: I think you might have told me about it before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in that sense, yes. What, uh Can you guess tell what the me book about is about? It. Uh, um I'm guessing it's about someone who imagines that they are surrounded by idiots, but in fact they are the idiot. Or or maybe not idiot, but but they are no, it's not no. That.
0: It is huh. about personality test. It's using uh-huh. one of the more I don't know if you referenced this in your conversation, but it's disc disc the disc uh, personality test, which is famous for grouping people in four colors. Oh. And uh <laughs> Nope, don't know it. (laughs) That's good. That's good. It's almost as common as MBTI. So Myers-Briggs is almost as popular. So very, very widespread. And Mm. that book has sold more copies than I believe there are. This might be fake news, but I feel like you look it up. It's it's like more than 10 or 15% of the Swedish population have bought a copy of that book. And so it's it's the best-selling book in the last 10 years in Sweden. Weird. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is it, it's, but how specific to Sweden is this popularity? Because I've, I've never come across it.
0: Well, Whereas yeah, Myers it,
1: Briggs is everywhere.
0: Right. Well, well so fun fact uh, about this model disc it's originated around the same time as Myers Briggs, but it was created by no other than the same guy who came up with Wonder Woman. The, the comic book character. I'm <laughs> wow. so I'm forgetting his name now, but it was that's a, it like
1: was, just somehow less credible than a, than the Jungian uh, family that that the Myers Briggs yeah. originates from. Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even more so. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember what his name is, but but there was a famous film that was recently a Hollywood film about his life. So he's an interesting character, and uh, yeah, this test has. Been able to kind of continuously become more and more widespread. And this charlatan of an author who who wrote the book, uh, (laughs) Surrounded by Idiots, kind of tried to popularize this thing with great success. So, Uh again, it's the most sold book in Sweden for the last decade. And you saw it for a long time. I was given to, like, as a Christmas gift three times by different people, I was given this book three times. And I had to. That was like the hardest acceptance of a gift that I've had to endure. You know,
1: <laughs> did you pretend to to love it
0: <laughs> for like two seconds, and then I oh, I gave an honest take. But um, that's good. But yeah, so so I definitely have thought and had a lot of discussions about poor use cases of personality tests, and this has been very widespread in organizational use as well in Sweden and and so on. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, I think it's really important. Discussion to have. I think it's really great to have it in a way, or in a way where, obviously, distinguishing kind of the good and the bad, a little bit of understanding that there are some really kind of problematic ones like this, yeah. and, you know, *Mars Briggs. Then you have the likes of *Big Five or *Ocean*. But even with that one, obviously, it's also something that is a tool that could be used mm-hmm. in a problematic way at the same time. And I think. I don't know what was your takeaways there af- after your discussion. Do you feel like there are certain things that you would be more or less comfortable, including in a in an interview context or hiring context?
1: Definitely, anything that touches on mental health feels feels pretty like out of bounds for me. Uh, so, the, so getting into the dimensions of neuroticism that we covered, but even then, like, yeah, I'm still mixed. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I still feel conflicted. Like, okay, it does make sense to have a, a more standardized and efficient way of interviewing. That feels right to me. On the other hand, do we want to systematically bias against people who are low in conscientiousness because that has, you know, that predicts problems in, in workplace performance? Like, no, I don't really want, I don't like that world either. So, so I think that Thinking about this on the individual scale, you can think of all the benefits. And then when you think about it on a societal scale, you think about all of the negative repercussions. And I think that argument kind of outweighs the, but like, then you go back and think. But then on the other hand, when you think about all of the biases that go into an unstructured interview, that's worse. There, yeah. it's, it's clearly documented that there are much greater problems there and bias weighs much more heavily. And so at the end of the day I'm still I'm still in this place of conflict where uh, I do think that the structured interview is uh, you know has has better outcomes um in terms of diversity and inclusion and so on um and and getting more people of different backgrounds into a role um I can see how there could still be problems and then I think that the solution then is to intentionally correct for for those problems that, because you can foresee them because you're measuring them when you're not measuring them you're not aware of uh, of issues that are seeping into the process so i think i think that's probably where i would land though i still do experience some discomfort with with the whole with the whole thing
0: right yeah no, i think that's a valid take and i would say the the thing that i'm kind of making sense of myself and thinking about is the challenge of you have these big 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 organizations that want to standardize a Call it an unbiased and effective way to recruit. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I would say part of what potentially I think is an issue is that I would say, would you mention conscientiousness as one of the common thing to kind of use as a interview based question? Kind of makes sense if you like imagine people as some form of standardized blocks that you want to like squeeze into a, <laughs> a hole of sort where you ignore kind of the potential of reorganizing the environment or system where these people would work. And mm. so you only have these standardized holes or squares, whatever. And then you try and find these kind of things to put there that would kind of align. And obviously, I can see where that makes sense in a standardized kind of classic uh, production approach. But I feel like in today's age where I feel like we're starting to champion new diversity, for example, much more. And... On that same kind of line of trying to champion diverse way of working, thinking, approaching Mm -hmm. things, it seems like a huge potential miss to categorize what is a kind of an effective, highly skilled worker based on how they score conscientiousness, where potentially they could become as effective or even more effective than someone who is quote-unquote high consciousness if they have some environmental changes towards someone, you know. Like it's a lot of it. Right. And and you're not thinking
1: of the all the benefits of you know heightened creativity or like maybe someone is really chaotic to work with in the more traditional way of thinking about how one might be organized, but the benefit that they bring in terms of you know the their their unique perspective and their their creative ideas. It's like, maybe that's, that's really an outsized benefit.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, it was mentioned the episode, which I think is really great in terms of how these things are context dependent as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. just because you might score in a certain way that might not be stable across all contexts as we know a lot with behavioral science <laughs> with yeah. everything from honesty to whatever we're talking about. It's a lot of it has to do with like, what context are you in and and again, it comes back to kind of, kind of I would love for us to maybe embracing a little more in general, kind of differences, mm-hmm. and then having a little more ways of accommodating for those differences in a you know, an office space or in a way where people can work in ways that suits them and gets the best out of them, and they have the support, rather than only like okay, like we have this way of working, everyone should work this way, and then let's find other people to squeeze into the same kind of you know mold yeah so,
1: yeah yeah absolutely um, so w- would you ever use a, a personality test in your in your hiring uh decision
0: i have thought about it honestly is for for because i have been involved with quite a lot of hiring i uh, have had conversations where there are some organizations in Sweden that are doing good work in this s- domain doing very very scientifically kind of supported work where i've been Open to potentially collaborating with them at some point, uh, but haven't done so yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know. I'm 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 someone who would come into that room with like arms crossed and being a little bit sceptic, and then <laughs> yeah. you know needing quite a bit of uh, convincing. But I think I'm yeah. still open to to do it as long as it's it's done very thoughtfully, scientifically, and with Kind of trying to mitigate for unintended consequences, the best. You yeah,
1: can. and yeah. and maybe going back to the the original distinction about whether you're using it to base your hiring decision or as more of a a tool for understanding and discussion, right? To figure out, oh, how do we need to structure your environment given that you're you know low in conscientiousness? Or right, right.
0: So one thing that uh, wasn't covered in the in the episode with Sanjay, but I think probably both of us have some thoughts on, and be interesting to to dive a little bit into is the idea of using these dimensions, but more in the context of segmentation, for example. Mm -hmm. So the idea that uh, when looking at segmentation, the classic way of doing it is kind of either taking a demographic view, an attitudinal or a behavioral view, Mm or kind of a combined version. And in the bucket of attitudinal data points, beyond kind of, let's say, intention or or motivation, for example, it's very common, I would say, to think about introducing something like openness to experience as maybe a metric that could be measured or or used. So that's kind of a general, I guess, question to get started. What do you think about that side? Do you have any perspectives on the, on the literature or the science of of using these these things in that domain.
1: Yeah, yeah, really interesting. I mean, you, I think the so when you look at at how segmentation is is often used out there in the world, you see a lot of the, like really crude demographic segmentation which which really seems like it backfires because it doesn't it, it's not very predictive of behavior. Often people are trying to influence behaviors, but you don't you don't see much there and then you have the you know, the, the next level of, uh, of attitudes, which we know d- are, don't necessarily translate into behavior. And then, of course, the, the, the thing that we focus on as behavioral scientists, for the most part, is the behavior itself. So I think that I would, I would, uh, I would elevate the focus on behavior if that's what you're trying to change. You know, look at what people do. Um, but that's not to say that there's no value in looking at personality or, or sort of what would fall under the, the psychographic segmentation. Um, I think that the the issue that you run into there is something that we that I did actually talk to Sanjay about, which is this trade-off between bandwidth and fidelity, right? Mm, so you, yes. you could if you can measure something that's very broad in general, like what hap- what you know tends to be, um, you know elements of of the Big Five that the, they can uh, predict lots of outcomes very weakly. But then on the on the other hand, if you can um, measure something that's much more specific, maybe it's that behavior. Um, you can you know, pr- predict less, but then you have to do a lot more a lot more tests. You have to learn a lot more about about your users and so on. And so I think that applies very much to this, uh, to the literature and segmentation and and what is more predictive in in terms of what you look at.
0: Yeah, yeah that's. I really like that, just the way of um, dividing it into the kind of focus on, on the bandwidth versus fidelity part. I think it was really Yeah, great. I, I, and, I, that's uh, my yeah.
1: favorite new term that I learned from Sanjay. It's yes. just like that captures everything, all the problems I have about different measures. <laughs> um. Yeah, not everything, but... Uh, but yeah it's it's definitely i'm i'm keeping that one with me for sure
0: yeah yeah have you seen signet have you seen westworld did you watch that
1: i love i mean it, the first season of mm. westworld i lo- oh my god i got so sucked into it i'm not sure what happened to it after that but oh man
0: why okay <laughs> i no, am searching fidelity. for the relevant took it it a lot about fidelity in season uh, 3 i think or something like oh, that oh i see okay yeah. didn't get that part <laughs> <laughs> But yeah that's uh, i think it's over, I think they they canceled that show. So yeah, uh,
1: it went it went in a weird way.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, But uh, going back to personality tests, I think it's interesting as well when it comes to, you know, I, l- I work a lot with product teams as you do too, of course. But as you can say, another side of that is there's some version of this that I think oftentimes is like done in a very crude way. From like I remember studying management one on one or something in, in business school talking about like early adopters and laggards and <laughs> that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously like a way of trying to approximate for something like openness to experience. And I, w- I, th- I feel like that's oftentimes just a very like crude and bad way of kind of categorizing your users. That's kind of talking about very, very low fidelity, like very high bandwidth mm-hmm. and doesn't really help you oftentimes understand things very well. And even with, yeah, we have been discussing this quite a lot in terms of the projects I've been on for the last year or so with kind of on one side, you have creating segmentation with actually no components. side you have more like personas for like product development and that's maybe another discussion, but yeah, I I certainly think it's, it's interesting and and maybe that's something we can revisit more in the future uh, at some point and we can share more, but um, I really, really enjoyed honestly this episode. It might be my, my favorite so far. Now, I don't know. Wow. Uh, the, the Laurie one was also really, really good. So we're on we're a good start. I think season yeah. three is on a good start.
1: I love them all. <laughs> I don't have a favorite. <laughs> all, all the babies are the best. Um, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was great. If you have any further corrections or just input or thoughts or questions, uh, let us know via podcast at habitweekly.com. Um, we're starting to make a habit of, of this coming to you on Wednesdays. So. Mm-hmm. We will be back again next week with another episode. And uh, I guess we can tease that it's about engagement.
2: See you then. See you then. Time to wrap up another episode of the Behavioral Design Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Oh, and I am an AI. Yeah. Welcome to Uncanny Valley. Sam and Aline told me this is going to be an awesome season so make sure to subscribe and help spread the word, maybe share the podcast with a colleague or friend. And if you want to show us some extra love, head over to Habit Weekly. Come and join our community. Pro members get access to a wealth of resources and the chance to interact with leading practitioners. It's a great way to support the podcast and deepen your understanding of behavioral design. Our fantastic show music is Murgatroyd by the wonderful Dave Pizarro. And thanks to the team at Orange Wall Media for the production of this episode. For questions or ideas for future episodes, email podcast at habitweekly.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Blah oh ho oh.